Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Hello everybody and you're very welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, series 6, episode 3. And today's show is called A Creative Mind Born of a Pandemic. So very uh, much in uh, tune with our particular times at the moment and what we're all going through in a shared basis around the world. Now we recorded this episode around about a year ago uh, for our Green members telling the story itself And I guess it was um, a little bit different at the time because we weren't quite sure of what lay ahead of us. And I thought it would be a good idea to broaden the horizon just a little bit and tell the story of a particular family, a particular individual and his mother, and how they had to go through just one of many, many pandemics, famines and so on that our ancestors had to actually somehow survive through. So I think you're going to enjoy this particular episode, and I won't mention who that individual is. Very became very famous in the meantime as an author, and I think you'll uh, enjoy it um, when, as we do the reveal, and particularly his story. So here we go, on with the show. Oh, sorry, just by the way, you can find these show notes at alettafromireland.com forward slash 603. That's alettafromireland.com forward slash 603. And there you can find some extra information and some of the references in the story and so on. So I do hope you enjoy the show. And now on with that show. And we're going to talk about Sligo itself. That's both Sligo Town and County Sligo in just a few moments. But Karina, we were kind of debating whether to talk about this particular topic in the show because it's kind of talking about the reason we're all locked away, isolated at the moment. Yes, and I suppose we want to keep it upbeat and cheery for everybody. But as you say, there is an elephant in the room. So let's have a chat about the elephant in the room. And today, believe it or not, we're going to touch on global pandemics. So I don't think it's going to be that scary and that worrying. Uh, But I would want to say that really we want to kind of put it forward in the context of what our ancestors had to put up with when such things hit very their own part of the world. Yes, because we often uh, get the question posed to us in the green room and on the letter from Ireland saying, why did they leave such a beautiful countryside, such a beautiful country? But putting it in the context of the day and what was going on for the people at that time, I think a lot of people would have run out of the country and never looked back. So if we go all the way back to a time before the first, uh, well, the major famines, in Ireland in the mid-1800s, go way before that back to the 1820s and 1830s, uh, the Napoleonic, excuse me, the Napoleonic Wars across Europe uh, had come to an end. And in a way, I suppose the first kind of threads of globalization had started to occur around the world with the first waves of emigration and so on, and people coming back and trade between the colonies and back and forward. And at the time, of course, what that led to was the first epidemics starting to become pandemics. And one of the worst ones was actually the cholera epidemic and pandemic, which really kind of uh, flooded across the world in different ways from about 1829 to 1851. So we want to focus a little bit on this time, and we're going to talk about the bigger picture, Karina. Then we're going to actually go in to a place called Sligo Town and look at the effect it had on Sligo. But then 
we're going to go into a very particular family and a very particular individual in that family and see just how a creative mind and a, a work of art was born out of this time. Sounds very interesting. Okay, so a little bit of background before we actually go forward. So because the cholera epidemic, uh, it was well documented at the time, but it was kind of unsure how it spread. But of course, how it really spread was through the ports, like it always did. You had goods moving in and out and people moving in and out through ports. And therefore, they were the first enclosed spaces to actually get these particular epidemics until they moved into the countries. So the disease itself at the time was first noted in India. Uh, and then it moved on to Russia, then Finland and Poland, and eventually reached Great Britain. And of course, you had the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland at the time was all the one country. And that was in 1831. And as I just mentioned, the first thing it hit Karina was the ports. Now, Sligo and the port of Sligo was the second busiest port on the West Coast after the city of Limerick. And that's that's unusual, isn't it? You just wouldn't realise how busy Sligo was when we, we visited recently there. And just to think that it was the second biggest port in Ireland. I mean, just remember at the time, we're talking about the time of sail and before steam. So really, people kind of hit land as soon as they could when they went across, for example, the Atlantic. So, you know, an awful lot of our folks would have actually emigrated from Sligo and Limbrick and smaller ports dotted up and down the West Coast before the time of the steamships, if you like, in the 1850s onwards. So in this case, anyway, the in summary, basically, the population of Ireland was actually more than it was today. There was an actual burst, which the bubble was very much burst at the time of the famine, about 10 or 15, 20 years later. But at the time, just think about this, folks, there was 50,000 people killed at the time by that one particular epidemic, 1832, I think it was, in Ireland. But at the time, people were just hearing about this coming closer and closer to them. Think about that. It wasn't immediate that they knew about it. But they also, when they actually did arrive on their doorstep, they really didn't know what to do with it, except to isolate in some way. And very similar to what they did today, Karina, they actually ran from the cities into the countryside. So they left, they, they actually left the hospitals, left everything and, and moved away, leaving people in dire straits who were in need, I suppose, of help at that time. That's it. And the first instance of the cholera epidemic was actually noted in a place called Colina Moor, which you wrote about before, actually. Uh, so for Doug Barrett, if you're listening, that's where his ancestors in Sligo came from. And that was in July in 1832. But by August, it had actually got through to the actual main town itself. And Oh, Colina Moor, I remember that. A lovely place just a few miles outside of Sligo City, um, on the coast, of course, there. And uh, Doug, when we walked down that road towards Colina Moor, the name of the place actually is on the name on the house where your ancestors stayed. Um, it was a wild, windswept day. But I found memories of Colina Moore and didn't know at the time that that's where the first, you know, cases almost of that outbreak were discovered back in the 1830s. And what happened then very, very quickly inside the town was they started to actually cordon off the town to keep a quarantine, Karina. But nevertheless, the population of the town dropped from 15,000 down to 2,000. Now, although there was maybe one and a half to 2,000, 3,000 deaths, most of the actual population drop had to do with people just fleeing from the town because they knew better back then. You don't want to be setting up beside a sick person. This was a very visible sort of sickness in the people around you. 
And when you think of today as well, the same sort of thing happened really, didn't it? In Spain, people moved out towards their country houses and, and, and so on. It's and been reported all over New York, moving yeah. out to the, 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 your homes in the Hamptons, for example, or over in the UK, moving up to second caravan parks or whatever it is further up in the north. So n- people haven't changed much really over the time, have we? No, they have not. Now, I mean, this lasted for a while. And of course, just to put it into context, I mentioned Doug Barrett just a little bit earlier, Karina. Um, his ancestors from County Sligo pretty much left about this time to actually go to Tasmania in Australia. So just to put a little bit of context into what was surrounding them and maybe influence them to kind of move. move so far away. Yeah. And it wasn't because of the epidemic itself, because the epidemic was in a lot of places, but it was the economic fallout, you know, and just the shifting of all the pieces with the guys who owned what. Um, industry itself probably just kind of lapsed. It was very, very different time to today. We just did not have, funny enough, we had much fewer ways of actually coping with such outbreaks and it swept through the communities very in a very deadly and very quick sort of way. But funny enough, the actual, I guess, the, the, con- the containment was actually the best way to actually deal with it, just like it is today. Not much has changed. Now, what we're going to do, folks, is just move on a little bit, and we're going to talk about a particular resident of Sligo Town at the time, a lady who was only 14 years old at the time, uh, going by the name of Charlotte Blake Thornley. So, Charlotte Blake Thornley. And she took it upon herself a little bit later to write an account of what she witnessed inside the town when she was 14. It's kind of horrific, but bear with us because this is an unusual turn a little bit later in this morning's or today's show. So these are the words of Charlotte Blake Thorny. Now, and she's talking, first of all, Karina, about hearing about the disease coming from places outside Sligo and then eventually arriving. But gradually the terror grew on us. Time by time, we heard of it nearer and nearer. It was in France, it was in Germany, it was in England, and, with mild affright, we began to hear a whisper pass, it was in Ireland. Then men's senses began failing them for fear, and deeds were done in selfish dread, enough to call down God's direct vengeance on us. One I vividly remember, a poor traveller was taken ill on the roadside some miles from the town, and how did those Samaritans tend him? They dug a pit with long poles and pushed him living into it and covered him up alive. But God's hand is not to be thus stayed, and severely like Sodom did our city pay for such crimes. Well, now that is harrowing stuff to read, Mike. And And uh, it is fairly dramatised too. Yes, absolutely. So you can see how we would like to avoid it. (laughs) But there you go. Yeah, but you know, know, Karina, I mean, again, just to put this into context... That was the sort of thing that our ancestors were were used to hearing about in the living memories of all our relatives around them. So it was like every 10, 15 years we had an epidemic such as that. Mm. We had either a concurrent famine or one that actually followed very quickly afterwards. There was a lot on the minds of our folks just to kind of get by day to day, week to week, month to month. And in some ways you can always understand that desire to go to a place where they could leave all this behind and i suppose also the desire not again to speak about it very much no now that lady charlotte blake thorny uh she grew up of course she survived the actual epidemic and she met a young man who had the first name of abraham 
and they went to live in the uh, town of Derry before they actually went away and took the rocky road to Dublin. Charlotte Blake Thornley, Mike, would you mind reading the letter from Ireland that you wrote about her and her family to us there? Yeah, Karina. And folks, remember, we started off by talking about the, uh, pan- the cholera pandemic that hit Sligo in 1832. And then we mentioned about this lady uh, as a 14-year-old witnessing and writing a particular account. Well, some time ago, we actually wrote a letter about Charlotte and her family. And I think you might be surprised as to whom her one of her, well, her most famous son actually became. So here we go. Charlotte came from two of the most illustrious families of Ireland, the Blakes of Galway, one of the tribes of Galway, and the O'Donnells of Tyrconnell. She later married and left Sligo for Dublin, and it's said that she always she was always a prodigious storyteller, remembering many of the folk tales that had been passed down through their Irish families. Her third child remained sick for an extended period of time, and he later recalled how she would pass on many of these stories to keep them entertained on the long days spent together. This son went on to write one of the most widely read books in the world. His name was Abraham, or Bram for short, Stoker. So in other words, Karina, Charlotte married Abraham Stoker uh, Sr. And the child was called Bram Stoker. And he was the writer who provided us with Dracula. Have you ever read the original book? I do remember staying up late to watch an old Dracula movie as a youngster and eventually ending up watching from behind the sofa, one hand over my eyes. Yeah, it's very scary. <laughs> it took less to scare us, though, that much back in the day. It's thought that Charlotte filled Bram's head with old stories and her first-hand accounts of the horror she witnessed during the Sligo cholera epidemic. She also told him of myths, such as the blood-drinking dwarf of Ulster, called the Lacht Arbatak, Locked Artok, or Evil Dwarf in English, who was killed and buried, but kept on coming back to life. In the end, it was only a sword made of yew wood that killed him for good. Or maybe she told young Bram of the Far Andrach Ola, meaning man of bad blood. Interesting that the last two words of Drach Ola are pronounced Dracola. Yes, so... So, although Bram Stoker may have left Ireland for London in 1878, it seems that he brought a large part of his mother's story and imagination with him. He published his novel, Dracula, in 1897, and the nightmarish characters and adventures he detailed took up residence in the imagination of millions of people across the world. It was a gothic horror novel informed by the stories and first-hand accounts of famine and epidemic by his West of Ireland mother, Charlotte Blake Thornley. Thank you, Mike, for that letter, because it brings to mind actually a book that I meant I meant to review in the Green Room Book Club, and I will go ahead and do that now. But the book was Shadowland, and it takes the story oh, yeah. of, of Bram. Now, Shadowland is written by uh, Joseph O'Connor, and just came out there recently. And many people might know Joseph O'Connor comes from that O'Connor family where Sinead, his sister is the singer Sinead O'Connor, very famous lady. But Joseph is equally famous as a writer. And with Shadow Play, he took the story of Bram when he left Dublin uh, with his young wife, Flo, 
and decided to get out of town and head to London. And over there, he started to manage the Lyceum Theatre. And the story evolves really about uh, Bram and two legends of the Victorian theatre over there. And uh, anyway, as it goes along, we get to see what life was like at that time in the 18 late 1800s and how this novel shadow play is coming into his mind and you've got kind of Dracula and the wings there all the time waiting to be brought into a story and unfortunately really for Bram at the time by the time he got to write Dracula people were beginning to want to move away from all the ghoulish gothic gothic, horrible stuff like that and we're looking to sort of the new era and the new age so by 1897 people's feelings had changed and i suppose it was only later that dracula became oh yeah well i guess with tv especially wasn't early movies i should say yeah tv so poor old brown probably never really lived to see you know people had no time for the novel at all when it came out anyway that's the background these days of all the vampires everywhere lurking i know he'd have been so famous if he was around now but there you go that's life isn't it he didn't really live to see his own fame but why that's that's shadowlands by shadow play shadow play shadow play by by joseph o'connor so that's that's a real book if you want to dip into the time and you know see what it was like to live in the gritty time in in london and in dublin and what life was like in the late 1800s so it was the great bram stoker himself uh, and of course a person that is probably uh, famous beyond anything that he might have imagined in his day uh, for the way in which he just simply managed to proliferate the actual myth of vampires in so much of our media today. So I do hope you actually enjoyed that particular show. I know we enjoyed putting it together. And again, I do hope that we'll all be out of this particular shared circumstance and hopefully we'll have a little bit of, um, I don't know, we look back and have some kind of learning from the whole thing anyway. But I hope you're staying safe and well wherever you are in the world. And remember again, you can find the show notes at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 603 that's a letter from ireland.com forward slash 603 so look forward to chatting again next week that's it from me for just this week mike and slon for now if you've enjoyed today's letter from ireland show we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area the green room you hear us mention it a lot during the show and you can find full details of the green room at a letter from ireland.com forward slash green room. Our green room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the green room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The green room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán Gafol, Karina.